Hi, my name is Bruce Perham. Welcome to my podcast series, Trauma from the Frontline. In this series, we'll be interviewing a wide range of people that work in the frontline industries who will be sharing their professional and personal thoughts and ideas about working in the field and some of the challenges that they all confront. Hi there, my name is Bruce Perham and welcome to the Frontline. Today, my guest is Anthony Milbourne. Um, Anthony has multiple years experience in compliant enforcement and in the process has worked in local and state government in Australia. Anthony is very passionate about youth justice and wrote, wrote a book, Psych Warden, an Officer's Psychological Account of the Inside, in an attempt to make a positive contribution in this now very public and much debated area of youth criminal justice. Psych Warden displays Anthony's compassion in the work he did with youths in custody, concurrently picking up the issues that these can be dangerous places to work and there are certain things custodial workers need to be aware of to be safe or as safe as possible. Welcome, Anthony. Um, Can't thank you enough for joining me on my podcast. Um, Maybe if we just started how you came to work in the youth justice industry. Beautiful. Just want to let you know, Bruce, I'm a long-time listener, first-time interviewee. Right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, I appreciate that. (laughs) I've worked in uh, local government and um, the likes of uh, being a ranger and other positions. Um, Essentially, I wanted to challenge myself. Um, Obviously, uh, a workplace like working in a jail is quite... uh, daunting and and dangerous and I wanted to test myself out and see how I could cope in all respects in that workplace so that's what drew me in um yep and and to work with like-minded people yeah um so Anthony had you had any um exposure to uh, a prison or a custodial um situation before you know sort of showing interest in it none whatsoever to be honest Um, I'd been in local government for quite a number of years and I just wanted to have more of a challenge. Um, Hadn't even gone anywhere near, let alone inside a a prison as such. Um, You'll find that 99% of people who enter the profession generally care and want to make a positive influence. And that being said, you know, um, you learn fairly quickly that unfortunately that is harder than anyone could imagine. And if you make a positive impact like I reckon I have with one person at least, it makes your day. Yes. So so what did the training, so, you know, you've stepped into it, you've gone in and uh, commenced the training. What sorts of things did you experience in the training? Um, they give you a couple of scenarios, uh, but you're basically dealing with an actor. You're not dealing with the actual uh, inmate or client, as they call it. Um, so they run through scenarios with actors that is still a bit daunting. I'm not going to lie to you, but, uh, nothing like the real thing. You know, once that door closes with the job proper, you're scared as, and if you're not, as you know, you're, you're fooling yourself. Did, did the training cover, um, any of those aspects of the exposure to, at risk situations, the you know how you might deal with that, or did you get any sort of insight into what lay ahead potentially? 
once again, it's it's pretty much um, uh, how can I put this? It's it's more of a gloss over, from my opinion. It's more of a gloss over than actually getting into the nitty gritty of what does actually happen. Um, you do your your pretend searches. Uh, you do your uh, searches for contraband. Uh, I mean, obviously that happens every day, but you don't really know until you do it proper. Like I said, the the main mm-hmm. issue I found with the training is they don't really talk about the the mental side of things. For me, it was more of a struggle mentally than physically. And it might sound silly, but with, with assaults and just anything like that that went, uh, which happened quite often, um, that didn't affect me anywhere near as much as the mental uh, side of things. Tell me a bit more, um, or maybe if we just talk about those early um, few months when you, you know, as you said, I think the gate shut behind you and there you are. What 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 was that like? What, how did you find, um, in a way, that jumping into the deep end? Nervous as, very nervous. Um, you're, you're exposed to the worst of the worst of society. Let's just be blunt about it, just the worst. Yes. And, um, you know, the moment you're left alone, even with a couple of them, you're having second thoughts about what am I doing here? You know, you, you go in there with all the right positive uh, vibes and, and wants and everything, but the reality of it hits you pretty quick and just the ad nauseum shouting and uh, language. I mean, I'm no prude, but, I mean, when you hear every second word is swear word and, and then different stories you hear and just everything you can think of A to Z is <laughs> <it's> very... <laughs> much uh, it's very hard to deal with that on top of your workload do you know what i mean uh, i mean yes that raises another question about you know how many hats we wear <laughs> we're basically everything to these uh to these inmates you know we're at the drop of a hat we're like the, the doctor the parent the the psychologist the, the the teacher you know if you if you add all these things up firemen i mean there's, there's probably a dozen things if you add up the amount of years of experience you would need to be qualified in any of those areas, you're looking at 25 years, and that pretty much sums up a youth justice worker and I would say a corrections officer as well. Yes. So um, how old were the detainees that you were working with? The one that I was with, they had a they had three units where it was 15 to 17, and then they had the adult section of a few uh, units as well. So we had, as a rule, it's basically 18 to, say, 21. But you'll get the odd one that's a bit older. I mean, we had one as old as 24. Um, right. He was basically on the run and then he had to, he got caught and then he had to finish off his youth sentence. That's basically how it works. So if you're, for argument's sake, uh, 17 and you've got a, five-year sentence for argument's sake, you still stay in that youth system and do your youth uh, time as such. 
there are exceptions to the rule where that inmate may be just too dangerous and then they'll get moved hopefully mm. to adults. But as a rule, they have to uh, do their time in youth because it was they were under 18 at the time of their crime. At the offence. Yeah. And so how did, how in those early days, I mean, how did you um, adjust to the reality? You know, how, how did you, you said you wondered why you were there on day two. You know, how, how did you sort of survive those early weeks? It helps to have a good crew around you. Um, there were obviously other newbies, uh, but, you know, you, you latch on to like-minded professionals as well. You try and find out as much as you can, as quick as you can to, I hate saying this word, but I will say it, to survive. Um, that's probably the best thing for me. Um, yeah, so just mm. just latching on to people. Um, I could give you so many examples, but the one for me that stands out is um, we had uh, someone who was in and they were a pedophile. Took me two days to even look at the guy. And then just after that two days, it's like, oh, I've got to be professional here. I haven't said anything wrong. I was just ignoring him. I have to be professional. I'm just going to block it out of my head about the offence he's, he's had and just treat him like everyone else, which I did. Um, it's hard, but... You know, you, you're doing your job. You have to be professional. And I got to the point where I didn't want to know within reason, you know, if I had to know someone's priors, fair enough. But as a rule for me, I didn't want to know why anyone was in because I don't want to judge them or be perceived as judging someone. Mm. Uh, the, um, what sort of behaviours were you seeing? Um, you know, what was happening within the, the centre from an inmate point of view. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, we had to deal with uh, inmates with ABIs, so acquired brain injuries, um, which <laughs> raises so many more, you know, opens a, opens a can of worms there of how to um, uh, make it easier for them in that environment. Um, we had people who had very short fuses, for whatever reason, I mean, it's it's in your best interest to find out what pushes the buttons of these kids as well. Uh, everyone has a button, obviously, and if you can find out what it is, it could be uh, a certain word, certain phrase, certain topic, and unfortunately you might actually look like someone that they don't like. It could be an uncle that they don't like that raped them when they were younger or whatever. So those things happen as well. So you try and gather as much information as you can about each of them. And like I said, it's not necessarily knowing about their priors. It's about the, their character and, you know, how they interact with other people. And it doesn't take too long to observe and work out, like if an incident's going to kick off, you just attuned to it. You just get so focused on on those things as well. So is that the the hypervigilance that uh, 
correction officers talk to me about. You just become so wired to the environment. Absolutely, and it's just so hard to switch off. So you're doing 12-hour shifts. Um, so you're expected, other than your half an hour break, and dare I say it, early days, there were days where, where we pretty much did not have a break. So I won't go into that, but that was pretty uh, wrong that that happened. But um, you have to be switched on every second or you should be switched on every second that's going on through the day. And it could be something innocuous that turns out to be something major. Or it could be anything. Uh, I guess an example would be uh, the inmates doing their, their washing. They go to the laundry, but I tell you what, that's a meeting place for them. And they'll exchange whether it's a shiv or it could be a, a TV remote. But, you know, all these things can be weapons. Anything can be a weapon. You know, a sock could be a weapon. They've put um, maybe something hardened in there that was in the freezer. I mean, you name it, anything whatsoever can be a weapon. So you've got to be very vigilant in that regard as well. And obviously eyes on your, your teammates, anyone else that's that's in the unit, let alone out of it when you're taking them elsewhere. And also any visitors that come in. You've got to, you've got to be focused on everyone so you can imagine it's very draining and that's on top of your work. <laughs> so it's mm. not just as simple as you sit there and observe and that's kind of it. You, this, it's, it's so involved, this job. It's not just opening doors, closing doors. A lot of it is that. Um, and, you know, you get abused just doing that, you know. Why don't you effing open my door? And then you just go, well, not ready to do it. And then they, they eventually get the, the message and they, they're nicer to you and then you open the door. <laughs> so little little yes. tricks to it, you know. Did did the level of intensity, um, what's the word, surprise you? Um, were you sort of aware of just how vigilant you'd have to be? Uh, in hindsight, I'd say no, but prior to getting into it, yes, absolutely. It's just full on. Um, don't get me wrong. There's there's good times, good laughs, everything. Uh, and these kids have everything going for them. They have everything at their disposal. Um, so if I can be blunt, I don't feel overly sorry for a lot of them because it's, you know, recidivism. They, they keep coming back. They don't learn their lesson. Um, but you, you also get people who are in there for one mistake. And usually they'll learn and they won't come back. Mm. So how, how, how um, you know, as it went on, um, you know, clearly that, I guess the first 12 months is sort of major learning. Um, how did, did you start to ease into it? Did you, how did, you know, did you feel that it was changing you? A lot of officers tell me that. Um, I would say from my point of view, everything's obviously from my point of view, uh, you go through a dip before you get out of it. You go negatively before you can get to the other side that's without anything happening to you mm. um you, you hit a roadblock 
and you've got to really work out what to do to get out of that. Um, but over over time, uh, you'll witness a lot of uh, incidents, and that's you know it builds up and obviously it affects you. And you get a skewed view of the world. This is the major takeaway for me. I was getting a very skewed view of the world when I was out out when I was out of work. You know, I'd be driving home or just at the shop or whatever, and I'm like, everyone's evil. <laughs> You just get to that point and you go, oh, <laughs> try and work your way through it. Um, this is why why you should always have supports. Uh, and the best supports, I think, are your workmates because they're going through exactly the same thing as you. Mm. On top of that, if you can have a really good psychologist, which I did, shout out to Kathy at the workplace, um, makes it a hell of a lot easier. Yeah, how, what, what, how did you find um, from an employer perspective in terms of um, what support structures were there for staff and for the for the officers? One good one was peer support. You'd have a rostered on worker or workers who would go to every unit and talk to every everyone on the front line and they would ask you questions and see where you're at. So that was really good. I really liked that. Um, but to me, it, it was, it didn't, it wasn't all encapsulating. It's more of a, I'm having a shit day today kind of thing. I, I didn't feel obliged to give away too much. Mm. Um, I feel more likely to give everything to a psychologist over a person who's checking checking in with everyone because it's a lot for them to take on as well. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I guess it's um, so individual mm. in terms of, um, you know, what people find helpful. And did, did you find that the other officers uh, had sought their external supports as well or some battling on it on their own um bit of everything you get the old brigade who have seen it all <laughs> and yeah <laughs> um i'm not laughing in a good way um but i would imagine anyone that's done it 20 years i mean i was only there for three years imagine being there t- i can't imagine the stories and mm. the ptsd everything were a we're a 20-year veteran that'd be just crazy so you get you know the whole spectrum of of workers as well, you know, she'll be right kind of thing. You get those ones, the other ones that will sort it out by going to the pub nearly every night. Um, you get others who will lean on other workers. And usually, like for like the team I worked with, we would definitely lean on each other. We knew how each other worked. We knew if someone um, needed assistance anyway. And just simple things like, I know there's a are you okay day, but basically every day should be that, you know. Um, are you okay? And just do you need to take half an hour and have a coffee and talk about stuff or, you know. So, yeah, everyone deals with it differently. Uh, for me, um, 
very hard to switch off and I would bring stuff home. Um, it's easy to say leave it at the door, but you inevitably mm. need to vent somehow. And my poor wife had to listen to me and it affected her. So this is the other thing that people may not uh, realise. It affects everyone. You're not the only one affected by this. It affects everyone that you know. And it could be vicarious trauma as well, stuff you see, which is probably mm. a big one. Or it could be, oh, you know, I'm doing fine. And then bang, it hits you. And then you're a wreck. And then people will perceive that you're right by looking at you, but behind the scenes, you're absolute wreck. How long into your career did that uh, first occur to you? For me, it was an incident where a major assault happened. Um, can I explain it A to Z? I'm yeah, happy to talk yeah. about it these days anyway. Yep. Okay, so a few years ago, um, I had got to work, was prepared, all prepared, all mic'd up, got all my equipment, whatever, sitting in a little quiet room. It was a quiet room next to the unit that I worked in. Um, and it was about 15 minutes before I started. And that was when I was doing night shift because I wanted to see how night shift worked as well. I, I'm one of these people that likes to know how the whole thing works. And... Mm. Um, here I am just sitting there waiting, waiting for 15 minutes to go by to then walk into my unit. I'm only a matter of, I don't know, 20 metres from the door, uh, from the like third door. <laughs> you got to get through a few doors. Um, and I hear a code and it was one of the staff members and it was an assistance code. And I thought, that's not good. And then very quickly after, it was like two seconds after, it was a guttural a guttural, um, like really desperate uh, code, and I just, I just had that feeling. It's got to be a, it's got to be a, a worker here that's in in a lot of trouble. And these are people I, I knew. This was my unit, so mm -hmm. I ra rushed in there. Like I said, fifteen minutes before I was meant to, <laughs> um, and. It's just all a blur. Essentially, I'm running, running down a hall. But through the main part and then through like the, the the wing and I see one inmate laughing and then just just a whole stack of people like on the ground and all stuffed up kind of thing you know like all like like a twister a game of twister kind of thing and um I see this one big guy he's like 150 kilos and no one's grabbing him now you're taught when you do your training, don't go in there by yourself. You're just asking for trouble. Uh, you should always be two up grabbing someone for obvious reasons. I had no choice but to do it myself. And there was very little room to get by, but I got by. Grabbed this guy who was at that time stomping on my friend's head um, a lot. Um, he had three guys on him. But the guy that I grabbed was down his, where his head is. The other two were down the other end, kicking and punching, whatever. And then there was another worker laying on top of that worker to protect him. Um, and I'm still getting chills just 
running through this, but I'm okay these days talking about it's been mm. nearly three and a half years. Um, I grabbed this guy from behind with all my might, tried to throw him against the other wall, essentially get him off my friend as soon as possible. Every second I thought counted. So I threw him aside. He looks at me. I put my arms down because, I, you know, there's cameras everywhere. I don't want to be seen to be throwing the first punch. Next thing you know, a big punch comes to my face. Thought I was blind. Scariest thing ever. And I had glasses on, so, you know, that cut my face. But yes. beside the point, he's pulled my jacket over my head. I didn't even realise that. I just thought I was blind, completely blind. And I just get an absolute pummeling everywhere. Now, because the jacket's over my head, I can't see anything. I think I'm blind. I'm not going to fight back. I have to get into the, the defensive mode now. Anyway, he just, yeah, full-on punches me, breaks my nose, which sounds quite horrific. It's actually not, believe it or not, that didn't hurt as much as him whack after whack. Probably, I don't know. I, I have been told I got hit nearly 20 times, which is, wow. a, which is a lot. But it's a lot. <laughs> he it's couldn't a lot. get me to the ground. My, my goal was do not go on the ground because what happened to my friend will happen to me. Do not go to the ground. That was my main priority and just protect the vitals. Um, and he had punched me just below the ribs. I didn't realise that till a day later or something. Luckily, he didn't get me in the ribs, but huge bruise right across across there anyway so him hitting me on the back of the neck oh my god the worst pain ever so i could handle the punch in the face looking back on it any day of the week but on the neck i'm still having issues with that today it's just Mm. can't even explain it so luckily i didn't know at the time but there was another lady from another unit uh, manager from another unit who ran in behind me and when she saw that I was getting assaulted, she jumped in between me and this big guy and held on to me. So I would have copped even worse if she didn't do that. Anyway, so I get hit like 19 times. And then it's and during the whole incident, I'm thinking this went on for two minutes. Went for 30 seconds, they reckon. And I'm Gee. like, that can happen in 30 seconds. <laughs> um <laughs> He peeled off and he blended in with the rest of the crowd. So when backup came, uh, they didn't know it was him that did a lot of the damage. Um, I found out later also, I will touch on this uh, just to give a rounded uh, view of workers. Uh, they're not all great workers. Let's be frank. Any uh, any job you work in, you're going to get some that don't live up to expectation. So I'll, 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 that's the caveat to what I'm going to say. So I found out mm. afterwards uh, there was a worker who wasn't from our unit. He was just helping out that, that day who as soon as this uh, incident happened he ran off ran out of the unit so i'll leave it up to the listeners to decide what they think of that now to put it into into perspective i totally get it totally get it 
it's a scary place and you react the way your body reacts. So from that point of view, I don't have anything negative to say. On the flip side of it, you should train your brain and your body to react, dare I say it, the way you should, especially when your teammate's in trouble. That's how I look at it. Now, I'm not saying go in and grab this 150-kilogram guy, but do something. You could be clearing stuff out of the way. You could be taking an inmate to his room or whatever. It helps, but don't run off. It captures, doesn't it, Anthony, one of those core issues of, you know, literally your life is on the line and you need everybody to respond. Um, And when that happens, and I've heard of it several times, you know, where someone freezes or they're not able to override, um, you know, the brain to get in there, it, you know, it's diabolical for everybody, you know, no doubt that officer felt pretty distressed that he hadn't been able to to do what he knew he should do um how so so after after that what happened if you mind telling me you know yeah (laughs) my being a bit of a joker that i am i was angry at the time don't get me wrong but my first reaction i was asked are you all right i said i'm okay and then i said the bastards ripped my shirt (laughs) (laughs) and i'm i'm like I need to talk to this guy. So it might sound very odd, but I don't have anything to this day. I've got nothing against that guy for doing what he did to me because I know working in that environment, as much as that shit what happened, these guys get heightened and then they basically, they're not in their right mind. Do you know what I mean? And I just happened to be the one who stopped what he was trying to achieve which could be like he was trying to kill my mate because it's come out that that could have happened. Do you know what I mean? But because yes. I was the one who grabbed him, he took it, took, he vented, he took it out on me. But from my point of view, I've saved my mate from copping another 19 kicks to the head. Yes. Um, so anyway, so I was taken to a... Uh, uh, one of the inmate cells, actually, it was, uh, we had two cells. There was one that was more of a, I'll say the word, but it's not really this isolation, right? It's an isolate. It's, it's separate mm-hmm. from all the others. It's the best way of explaining it. So I was taken in there cause that was the nearest, uh, safe place for me to go. And, uh, and there's, um, another, um, another room next to it, which was the, I can't remember what it was. That might've been a medical room. I can't remember. I've gone blank, but there were two, two rooms mm. where, you know, you could be looked after. So I was told to lay there cause I was saying about my neck, um, and ambulance came, two ambulances came, one for me, one for the other officer. And, um, you know, the the inmates that, that caused all this were put on observations. Um, and the good thing is they got other officers, uh, officers from other units that were free to come and take over, which is very smart, I think. You don't want the adrenaline from those officers that, that saw this 
and experienced it to continue mm. on for that, um, even though it was only 15 more minutes before the changeover. Um, so that was good in that regard. So they did care about, about that. Um, if you want me to, I can fast forward a bit after that and tell you that uh, I was off work for, I don't know, three and a half months, I think it was. I wanted to go back earlier, but I wasn't mm-hmm. allowed to. Um, did not go back to the floor. Didn't go back to the front line. Once again, doctors wouldn't let me. Um, but I made a point of going back when I was ready. And the hardest thing is going back, but probably the best thing if you can do it. And, yeah, that first probably hour I was there, I was still scared, even though realistically, mm. if you think about it, you're safe, you're fine. Mm. How, how uh, in, in those sort of couple of weeks after it, I mean, how did you go about processing what had happened to you? Because, I mean, a lot of officers will share with me when they feel that they're at major risk of physical and psychological injury, that their reactions are pretty intense. You know, when the dust settled, how were you? Uh, I had to go on medication uh, for some time uh, because I ended up being quite short-fused, quite angry. Um, I actually had guilt Believe it or not, I actually felt guilt. I felt like I should have done more for my friend, um, oh. which to people might sound odd, but it, I did feel that. Um, but once again, for me and for my friend that also got assaulted, um, it was hard to recover because, unfortunately, um, our Photos and names were released to the media and went all around the world. So the it turns out the magistrate, in his wisdom, thought it was in the public's best interest to have it released. But from our point of view, you've just put us in more danger potentially. Thank you very much. So in hindsight, the assault, bad worse for my friend but the lack of morality um essentially i took it as though they're using us as pawns i'm talking about the media um was just disgusting so what do you think the aim of that was i mean what what was you know what, what sense did you make of why putting the focus on you and your mate? I, I guess a good part of it was generally trying to help in hindsight, once again, in hindsight. Um, I would imagine they want to expose the realities of what can happen in these precincts. So from that point of view, absolutely. But I still don't see the need to release names uh our faces were blocked out but definitely why why names what's that got to do with anything mm. you know what i mean yes. and it affected my kids affected my family 
So they don't think of these things. And unfortunately, if someone wants to Google it, they can still look at it. The other thing from my work's point of view, they did not do enough. In my eyes, they did not do enough for us. Um, so we found out, we got a call from manager half an hour before it went to air on the news that this was happening, that they're showing, showing uh, our faces and stuff. Um, they did say they tried. I don't know. I wasn't there to, <laughs> to listen to that. But mm. the follow-up, when the other worker and I went to court because we wanted to see these three uh, get a nice... Uh, sentence we did not have any support it was just him and i supporting each other in the courtroom pretty tough mm. so so what what anthony did did you feel um i don't want to put words in your mouth but that was that a lack of caring or was it uh, a not thinking or what was it you know that just sort of it just sounds like you were just left alone once again, I don't think they intentionally did it. It's more of an oversight, which shouldn't have happened. And because there's so many incidents, maybe that, you know, it's, you know, you, you rock up to work after you've been injured. Oh, which one are you? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's almost laughable. It's like, which incident are you? Oh, yeah, that one. I remember yeah. that one. You're the one that got hit <laughs> 20 times. Now, um, at the time, ours was considered, I don't know, I, I was told about fourth, worst ever. Dare I say it's probably not fourth anymore. No. What, what you know, where you've, you've got, you know, is that what happened to you is the fourth or the third or the fifth. Um, what impact does that have on everybody that worked there where it was just so prevalent? You know, there's not just like a push and a shove. These are major assaults. What impact did that have okay, on everybody? so I'll begin by saying in my intake from, uh, there it was, four years ago, um, there was about how many of us, a good 30 of us in that intake. I only know of two that are still there. So if mm. there's any more than that, there might be four out of a good 30, 33 or something. So that gives you a really good guide as to the turnover of staff for different reasons, mm. for different reasons. The other thing that's come to light recently is they have, uh, the departments decided to increase pay, sounds good so far, of <laughs> new boots. Sounds good in theory, but to me, so, do not get people into that profession for money. You can make a lot of money out of it and you're not going to have a life because yeah. it just sucks the life out of you no. anyway. But don't try and get people in there for money. It's the wrong. So so this is a, a hindsight question, you know, looking back. Well, a couple of questions. Oh, sorry, I don't ask three questions at once. But um, what impact do you, do you think? When you look back now, what impact has that had on you? How has it changed you? Um, 
it's probably best to ask my family and friends, <laughs> I reckon. Uh, from my point of view, um, I'm still crazy about watching crime documentaries and the like. Hasn't turned me off in that regard. Um, so I ended up getting out of it essentially because of the the mental side of it and more so because of mm. the, the affecting the family. I didn't want to see that. Um, I still believe it is a very commendable job. I'm talking about from a frontline point of point of view, not from mm. management and all that kind of point of view. Uh, very commendable. Um, best job I've ever had in terms of, in the main, uh, the best people, the best like-minded people, um, caring and uh, supportive. They got your back. Um, I've never experienced that before, so I missed that. Uh, changing me, right? Initially, it changed me in terms of um, the people that caused that incident. If I saw people like that in the street, I'm trying to be diplomatic here. Um, I'd walk on the other side of the road. I still have a bit of that. I wish I didn't, but that's just mm. the reality of it. I'm more cautious around those types of people. Now, in terms of those three that um, caused that incident, they received varying uh, sentences, and it was determined that although they had time running on their youth sentence it's best they get sent straight to adults to serve the sentence out there and whatever they they copped for the assault now the minimum that, that a inmate can get is six months um i don't want to be quoted on this but it was something like one of them got six months, another one eight months, another one ten months, which is pretty mm. piss poor. But the clincher, the good clincher to all this is they got sent back to their country never to return to Australia again. So it was a win for us. Mm-hmm. Right. That, so, Anthony, you know, that um, obviously the role of correction officer of youth, um, uh, youth officers is you know you're charged to mentor and and work with your clients and work with youth and work with the adults in in the system and there's obviously a lot of um, debate going on at the moment about what to do with with youth what what's your thoughts about having you know and, and, and written your book in terms of the psych warden of working inside I mean what's your view of what's a better way to do it Wow, there's no silver bullet. I mean, you can you can research any prison jail in the world, and there's there's no silver bullet. Um, so I don't profess for one second to have any answers, let alone all the answers. Mm. However, um, let me explain it this way: um, from a inmate point of view they need to be 
stimulated more. You know, it's not just attend this class, attend this class, which a lot of them don't even attend anyway. Concentrate on, it's hard to explain. It's really hard to rehabilitate someone because one of our roles, one of our big roles was to rehabilitate or help assist with rehabilitation of these inmates. Now, good luck doing that when you've got 15 I put it in the same parallel as you've got two kids. You want to teach one kid something separate to the other one, for argument's sake, and then the other one inevitably will come in and annoy you for good, bad, or indifferent reasons. What I'm trying to say is very hard to find the time proper to to rehabilitate any inmate, and that's the crux of it, I think. Uh, in terms of workers, I reckon they should have, I've got two things that I had thought of. One is for uh, the new boots to give them the opportunity to see from a safe distance A to Z of what has, does and can happen in a precinct, uh, you know, watching from the... the um, uh, CCTV room, you know, and you can listen to conversations. You can watch assaults and you can watch them, uh, the way they interact uh, with other people or with staff. Do you know what I mean? Instead of being mm. on the ground and chucked in the deep end, which might be fine for some, I'll put it another way. I would rather know a lot more stuff before I... I am on the floor. I, I they yeah. they teach you a lot of stuff, but there's a lot of stuff that you basically can't learn unless you're on the floor. The other thing I was yeah. thinking of is I was lucky enough that when I did go back to work, um, and I pushed for this, by the way, I could help out stores, and then luckily I worked in infrastructure and I learned so much from from what they do. Um, Usually they'll just put someone doing mundane work, you know, filing or whatever. You're injured, good, you've come back to, uh, sorry, good that you've come back to work. Here, do some filing. You've got too much time to think about what's happened. Why not learn something mm. new, see where you are in, in, in the, the whole scheme of things, and everyone, everyone wins from that, I think. You're working, you're contributing, you're uh, learning a new skill. I mean, how can... How can a multi-skilled uh, workplace be a negative? The other thing is, so not just have that for people who have been injured, but also have have it where any officer, and this comes down to numbers, I would imagine, but let's just say we've got good numbers, Have give the opportunity to rotate officers to do something like what I said, infrastructure or stores or whatever. Um, and that could help them um, with their mental fatigue uh, or if they had burnout and it re-energizes them. Um, that's basically where I come from in, in that regard. But, you know, if you raise that, mm. oh, yeah, 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 we'll look at it and that's it. 
that's it. You never hear them in the game. Yeah. So from your own point of view, Anthony, the, the not getting back into that role or uniform, however we put it, um, was that ultimately in being in that assault and you, that brought home to you how dangerous this work is, was that the primary of, of it's just too risky to put yourself back into that situation? Um, I was prepared to go back on nights. Nights is a different beast. You know, you still deal with inmates or you might have someone that arrives through the night and has to be um, put into a new cell or transfer one from one place to another or so you're not completely safe um, but it's safer to work at night in theory. Mm. Um, Once again, it's not so much the assault. I was the lucky one in that assault. Um, I'm definitely not Robinson Crusoe. There'd be a lot of people who've been assaulted in many and varying ways. It's more, like I said, the the mental side of it and seeing how my wife, Mm. my kids, you know, the rest of the family, uh, were reacting. Yes, they know it's a dangerous workplace, but when it actually happens, and dare I say it, happens. it's not if, it's when. Um, you, you might be unlucky and get assaulted or I actually think it's worse to witness something than get assaulted. That's my take on that. Um, you might vicariously um, be impacted. Um, yeah. It, that could be the first And I guess it's... It's a little bit of what you mentioned before that you still go over, did you do enough for your mate? <laughs> and um, so I can imagine in situations where you see something, but um, you that's the process that officers go through. Could I, yeah, should yeah, I have done this? Should I have done that? It probably, does, probably doesn't help um, that some officers say, why didn't you do it this way? It's like, mate, were you there? <laughs> you got one second to think. Yeah. If I think too much, maybe I might not have done it that way. Yes. <laughs> and you have to think of the safety, and this might sound a bit odd, but you've got to think of the safety of the aggressor as well. It's not just as simple as, oh, yeah, I'll tap him on the shoulder. Mate, can you just leave him alone? And it, does, it doesn't work like that. But you can't be full-on mm. aggressive with them either. It's got to be we were taught enough to negate the threat. That's, that's the answer, enough to negate the threat. Um, just another thing, Bruce, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of PTSD, a big takeaway for me um, is basically you own it, you work on it, you accept it is the big one, and move positively forward. So it's basically a scar and you and it's part of you now and... But don't mm. be defined by it, but learn from it. So basically, for a long time, I didn't want to even talk about it. You know, some people uh, would ring you up and say, how are you, blah, blah, blah. Others, um, there's more of a tick and flick. And you basically got to go through the same, over the same ground. Um, and this is without any uh, closure on it. So it's hard to just keep talking about it. And then you get to a point like I am now or for the past year or so where bugger it, I'm not going to let this take over me. I'm going to control it. And it's it's 
it's like a choose your own adventure, I reckon. It's like you, you, you do what you can, you grab it by the scruff, turn it into a positive, and hopefully um, you can help others who, for me, I wrote that book personally for a cathartic reason. It just came out, just flowed out doesn't flow exactly uh, like a proper book, I guess, but, uh, you know, that's how it was. It's raw and that's how I wanted it. And I thought, I'm just going to release it like that. Mm-hmm. Um, if it can make any difference, uh, if it can assist as a resource to people who are thinking of getting into this profession and it helps them to decide yes or it helps them to decide no, leave it up to them. I'm happy, but essentially, I did it for well, a cathartic. I did it for a cathartic yeah. reason. And well, a cathartic reason, but with with the potential. And I absolutely agree with you that um, if people are looking at going into these sorts of careers, they they need to be aware of that. Um, you can't always control these situations, and um, you know you can't always de-escalate them. There are situations that just are so quick that um, they've happened before you, you really know it, which just sounds like very much what happened to you. Now, Anthony, uh, did you want to read out your victim impact statement? You mentioned that you might like to. I'm actually going to bypass on that because I pretty much mentioned it with uh, going, You've going talked through about it, it that's uh, fine. with that incident. So um, I don't think I can add too well, much it, maybe to if you, No, maybe if you could just comment on the um, process of doing it um, in writing it down as a, as a statement, was that cathartic? Was that helpful or was that a, a more difficult thing to do? Um, so after the incident, um, I was initially... So after they had a look at me, they, they took me to another room and the police were there and... They took photos um, and wanted to ask me what happened. So I gave them a rundown of what did happen. Um, and and initially I turned to the manager and I said, I'm so sorry. Um, I hadn't even started work. <laughs> Maybe I should have run in 15 minutes later. Um, <laughs> um, I think... It definitely helps doing a victim in, uh, impact statement. Um, oh, another thing, I'm going to be very pedantic, pedantic here. I'm not. A, I don't think I'm a victim. I don't like that word. <laughs> um, uh-huh. I don't think anyone in that situation is a victim. Um, no. For me, it was. I'll go back to Kathy, the psychologist at work. She was very, uh, what's the word I should use here? Uh, She's obviously very caring, but she had all these different ways of catering for me to get information out of me. I mean that in a positive way. Um, And it got Mm. to a point where I didn't want to see the incident. I have actually seen the incident the actual footage of that assault. Uh, but at the time I didn't want to see it. And she said, well, how about if we just do a diagram about what happened? 
I'm like, oh, what's the point? I'll just talk to you about it. She goes, no, 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 we'll do a diagram. So I ran, I did a, a mud map of, you know, this is where this is, this is where that is, that's where that person was. And it, and I'll tell you what, brilliant. It really brought it home to me. There's one thing thinking about something, but when you, like, mm. look at it, it's like you're stepping outside of yourself and you, it's a topographical yes. kind of a look at it and it just made sense something that seems so simple but it really hit home in a good way and i reckon that's when i started to move on right well that's a very encouraging reflection um anthony because so many people um are really resistant to psychological counseling or don't see that it can be helpful um and yet, it, as you've shared, you know, it can be very helpful for, for people. Um, and it sounds like, uh, do you still see Kathy now? Oh, we're or? in contact every now and then, yeah. And she's very uh, yeah. happy for where I've uh, made it to from where I was. Um, yes. You know, everyone in, in their own time recovers and in different ways. I mean, for me, um, um, it's all about mindfulness. I know you hear it all the time, but for me, it did work. Mm. And uh, I, I, I just listened to an app where it's just rain on a tin roof because that soothes me. I love this. Uh, at the best of times, I love that sound. But I used that to my advantage and, 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 mm. and it helped me heaps. Well, and it's, it's uh, interesting in terms of, you know, one of the things in doing these podcasts, it's, uh, and, you know, I interviewed um, Timothea um, last year on mindfulness of, the, the scope to incorporate those sorts of practices in training, you know, to alert people that these things can be quite useful in dealing with a high-stress um, environment. Now, one question before I forget, um, how are you going on that level of hypervigilance? You know, how long did it take to be able to, to reduce that to, compared to when you were working within the centre? answer that by saying I still am I'm not going to say hyper vigilant I'm yeah. not hyper vigilant but I'm very yeah. aware of my surroundings but I give yes, myself a, I, I can relax about it there's a difference uh, um, probably yes. maybe a year ago yeah I'm still yeah. very much aware there is actually a difference even though it probably sounds like I'm saying the same thing uh, very much aware of my surroundings, just not hyper uh, on it. Just enough. I, I, I allow myself yeah. just enough, and then I let it go in a way. Yeah, and uh, you know, to me, it's one of the biggest challenges. You know, for people that stay in this work, you mentioned offices. You know, ten or fifteen years. Uh, you know, they never really ever get that hyper vigilance down to um, anywhere what we'd call an everyday sort of level. Um, Anthony, how can people get your book? Uh, it's on Amazon. Uh, go on to Amazon. It's free on the, if you've got a Kindle, uh, subscription, I think, I think that's still available for free if they want to do it that way. Yep. Um, or yeah, on, on Amazon. And we might actually put, uh, Martin can put the link on, um, uh, when the podcast comes out. So was there a, anything, a final thing that you wanted to share or to say? First of all, thank you for 
letting me on your podcast and uh, hopefully I have made a bit pleasure. of a difference to the people that are going to listen to this as well. Um, be, be absolutely certain of it and, um, you know, because it's just sharing what happened to you and what happened to you in in the system and, you know, as I've talked about in other podcasts, you know, not nearly enough attention's given to that, to, to the reality of these are workplaces and um, you know, the, the issues that, that you've experienced. Just uh, before, how's your mate? How, how's he going? Uh, still recovering, to be honest. Um, right. Without giving too much away, he still struggles. Um, right. And I check in with him as much as I can. Um, yeah, he'll get there. He'll get there. That's the good news. I yeah, know you'll get it. Kind of, and he's a lot better than what he was. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's, that's good. All right, then, Anthony, will you take care of yourself and, and, and thank you enormously. Thank you again, Bruce. Thank you for joining me on this latest episode of Trauma from the Frontline. If you are enjoying this series, please make sure you follow us on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And if you find this information valuable, we ask that you rate the show five stars. If you would like to get in touch with me, please feel free to email me at bruce at letstalkdifferently.com.au. Until the next episode, please take care. If this episode has raised any issues for you, free counselling is available through your organisation's employee assistance provider, Lifeline on 131 114 or Beyond Blue on 1300 224 636.